Welcome to the 5-Minute Bible Study Podcast. This ain't your grandma's podcast. We're back on the 5-Minute Bible Study Podcast. As always, I am your host, Aaron Batty, and this episode is brought to you by 5MinuteBibleStudy.com. Go check it out, and there you'll find the newest article which was released this week. It's still a little fresh and hot. Go check out Super Faith. It's not a virtue. This is an article I've been thinking about and writing for a while. I finally got it finishing touches on it and published this week. A few people have commented on it, had some good feedback. I strongly suggest that you go read it. And if you do have any suggestions from it, just let me hear about it. And today's episode is going to include a commercial. We're going to hear from our sponsors next. Uh, then a main dish on the subject of what does it mean to be justified by grace through faithfulness. Uh, and then finally, a foot and mouth syndrome. I had run out of material on foot and mouth, but I created a situation this last Sunday afternoon, and we're going to share that with you. Sorry, no Bible stories. Because of the meaningness of the main dish today, we're going to bypass Bible stories, but we'll have one on the next episode. Okay, let's hear from our sponsors and get going. Roman Catholic indulgences are a really cool idea that they've been a long time out of practice, but I think it's time we started them up again. And so for the first time, again, you can purchase the Sunday Lunch Indulgence. Now, if you're unfamiliar with indulgences, these are prepaid certificates to sin. Buy one of these puppies, and you can be sure that God's grace ensures you your premeditated act of gluttony on Sunday afternoons. These indulgences should prove pretty helpful to many Christians who go to a church with Sunday potlucks. Before now, we all just glut out, act like pigs, stuff our faces, eat till we sweat, and have to unbuckle our pants, literally moan and then laugh and crack jokes about how we just committed gluttony. Well, now you can keep on doing that, and with a Sunday lunch indulgence, you can rest your mind assured that this open act of unashamed sin of disgusting gluttony is covered by God's grace. And and we're running a sale on our first week's worth of certificates. So if you buy now, buy 10, get a 10-piece from KFC free. Just use the discount code... I'm a glutton and I'm proud of it at checkout. Go to imaglutton.com slash fake news and get yours today. Well, welcome back to another segment of The Main Dish. And as advertised, we're going to answer the question, what does it mean to be justified by grace through faithfulness? We'll get to the nitty gritty of that in just a little bit. I do want to give you a heads up, though. This is going to be a lot deeper than some of the previous podcast episodes. And some of them have been kind of meaty discussions the last episode that I did with uh, my brother Nathan on Is Pornography a Scriptural Grounds for Divorce? That was a meaty episode. That was a, a good comparison. This might even get a little deeper than that because of some of the passages that we're reading and a lot of the controversies surrounding these passages and this very question. Now, what I was originally going to do in this episode 17 was address the question, what is legalism? And we're still going to do that, but I just want to split these up into two different episodes. And so... In this episode, we'll talk about the system of justification according to Scripture. And then in episode 18, we'll talk about specifically defining what is legalism. It's a phrase that people throw around a lot, and they use it in different ways with different meanings. And it really gets annoying, for one, that nobody defines what they mean by that. So we're going to to get into that in the next episode, but let's not get the cart before the horse, as we say. Um... When we're talking about justification by grace through faith, this is going to be very helpful in establishing first before we get into that legalism discussion, but also it will help to uh, address some things before we really get into this discussion. And so I have six things particularly, six main points that I want to cover in this 
podcast episode. And if you want my notes after all this is over, just reach out to me, however, and I will email these to you very gladly. I encourage you, after we go through these six points and you've clicked finish on the podcast episode, go home, set aside some time, open up your Bible, read the very passages that we went through here slowly, think about what I said about them, and see, does this jive? Now, I said let's clear some clutter out before we really get into the answering the question itself. And some of the clutter that exists is how people have, is assumptions people have made before they ever get to passages like in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 15, 16, where Paul makes a statement, we're not justified by works of the law. Okay? A lot of people will make assumptions that we're not justified, we're not under any law. And that's just the, seems to be the most obvious way to take what Paul says there. And so there are entire doctrines built on the fact that we're not under law anymore, we're under grace. The idea there being is that we are just under grace, where God will show grace no matter what we do as a Christian if we just accept His grace. And so there is nothing that we have to do. There is no grade of requirements. There are no commandments. There's never a must in the Scripture. And if there is, well, then you just naturally of course, will do that if you truly accept His grace. And so it takes away a lot, really, of human agency um, and responsibility uh, after becoming a Christian, or even before becoming a Christian. Um, I think that that is a misrepresentation. I believe that is a very bad misrepresentation of what Paul says in that passage, which we'll read in full in just a minute. But we need, again, there are other things that um, are assumed. Let's just deal with all of them. So there's uh, the idea of law. Let's address that first. There's three types of law in the New Testament that Paul refers to in his writings. There's some overlap between the first two, and well, all three of them. Um, but let's address Galatians 2, verse 15 to 16 for our first example. In that passage, I believe when Paul says the word law, it will bear out in your studies that he's talking about specifically in that passage the law of Moses as he was talking to primarily, it seems to be Jewish Christians or Christians who were being tested by Judaizing teachers, um, asking Galatian Christians to go back to, if not all the law of Moses, then definitely certain laws within the law of Moses, like circumcision and Sabbath keeping and maybe eating kosher and things like that. Let's read the passage and then we'll see that bear out. It says in Galatians 2, verse 15, We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. So when he says there, for by the works of the law, it's just assumed that he's talking about law whatsoever. And that's, that cannot be assumed. Uh, nothing can be assumed in our Bible study. And so we have to bear out, is there any passage which might contradict that assumption? We'll find out in just a minute, yes, there is. Uh, but always be asking the question, when there's a general statement like, we're not under law, or we're not justified by works of the law, what law is he talking about? Maybe he is talking about law altogether. We're not under any law today, just under grace, and that's it. But you have to establish that first. So definitely, and everybody, no matter what side of the wall you fall on here, they're going to agree that the law of Moses was a distinct system of law. 
and probably would agree that that's at least included in Galatians 2, verses 15 to 16. That's what Paul at least specifically has in mind in the immediate context. Well, there's another place where Paul uses the word law in the Bible, and he's talking about something just a little bit different. And that is in Romans chapter 3, and verses 27 to 28. And there it says, and we're kind of jumping in the middle of a discussion about um, being c- condemned under law. But anyways, Paul says, Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Go back to verse 27. He says, by what law of works? And so there, it's clearly implied, there is something called the, a, a law of works. And the idea of a law of works is that, for example, we live under the law of Christ. But if we live under the law of Christ, thinking that if we can just perfectly keep the law, um, and we'll be justified by our goodness by our perfectly keeping the law, by our ability to do all the works required of us within the law. That then takes the law of Christ and transforms it into a law of merit. And it's not just peculiar to the law of Christ. The same thing could be said of the law of Moses. If an Israelite under the law of Moses thought that if they just perfectly kept the law, then they would be justified. Well, that is true if they could do that. But they can't. That's the whole point of Romans 1 through 3. No man has been able to do that. And because of that, he says, we have no reason to boast. Boasting is excluded by what law? The law of works, because you haven't kept the law perfectly. And so the law of works is really kind of more a theoretical law um, that men could be justified if they perfectly kept the law. It's true in theory, but just not in practice. And it's true of all law in general. Now, in this case, he doesn't seem to be talking about the law of Moses specifically. He just seems to be talking about law in general. It's made in such a way so that if you kept it perfectly, you could be justified. But once you do break it, then there is no way for you to be justified, and you can no longer boast. Therefore, we must live under the law of faith. And that brings us to the third way that Paul uses the phrase law in the New Testament and this is a, at least three different ways he uses it. And we just read the passage, verse 27 again, but by the law of faith, he says. So there is a system of law that Paul calls the law of faith. And this is an antithesis to an idea of a law of works. A law of faith is like the Christian system. And that is, we are under law. In fact, Paul says in Galatians 6, and I think it's verse 16 or so, he calls the law that we live under today the law of Christ. And um, the that's the same thing as the law of faith. And so we live knowing that we cannot perfectly keep the law, uh, the Christian commands that have been given to us. And so we have to um, obey what has been given to us with faith in God to um, see our hearts and our actions and understand that we have placed full trust in His grace that He has bestowed on us in the form of Jesus Christ. And that is living by faithfulness. That whole what I just described there is living by faithfulness. So any law, um, if God has supplied a way of for man to be saved through a gracious gift, and the people under that law keep the law with that attitude of putting faith in God and not in themselves, to keep the law perfectly, but faith in God, then 
that is called a law of faith. And that's what Paul seems to be putting out there as the antithesis to laws of works. Now, um, any law, I want to make a clarification here real quick. Any law can become a law of merit. It just depends on the attitude of the worshiper. And it's a lot of times falsely assumed that the law of Moses was a law of merit, meaning it wasn't established on the basis of justification by grace through faithfulness, but rather on the basis of justification by perfect law-keeping. A lot of people will categorize the law of Moses as if that's what it was, and that's why we can't go back to it. No, the law of Moses was not based on you can be saved by keeping it perfectly. It was based on the fact that you can't be saved by keeping it perfectly. Like, you're practically speaking, you can't. Nobody's been able to do it. And, and so, therefore, you have to trust in uh, and live faithfully, give God your faithfulness, knowing that He is the only way that you can be saved, but that does not remove the fact that you still have to be faithful to His law as a condition. We'll talk about this a little bit more. And so it may be true that some Jews viewed the law of Moses as if it was a meritorious system and they could be saved by keeping it perfectly, but God's system of law and and therefore His system of justification has always been based on justification by grace through faithfulness. Whether you were an Israelite under the Old Testament, you are always saved by grace through faithfulness. If you're a Christian today, you are saved by grace through faithfulness. And there may be people today who uh, claim to be Christians, and there may have been Israelites back then who claimed to somehow be self-righteous and justify themselves by their ability to, to be as perfect as they are or as they could be. But that is not the way that the old law was set up to be, and that is not the way that the Christian system has been set up to be either. So the law, that phrase in the New Testament can be used three different ways to refer to the law of Moses specifically, to refer to theoretical systems of laws of merit, uh, or it can refer to systems of faith, laws of faith, whereby the person under the law has to place faith in Christ or God in order to be justified. I hope that that wasn't too convoluting. It's kind of difficult to make it um, a lot more simple, though I know that somebody else certainly has done that, and it's out there somewhere. Um, We're going to move on now. Another assumption we have to destroy is, maybe I should say correct, is the phrase works. The phrase works in Scripture is used in two different respects, but people do this all the time. They see the word works in the Bible, and they automatically assume that all works are um, condemning and evil and some made-up system. They're part of some system by which you're trying to justify yourself. We're going to see how that's actually not true by the testament of scriptures altogether. And we're not going to read just one because you can read just one scripture and pit it against the rest of the Bible and elevate it out of context and make it appear as if there's only one type of works in the Bible, but we'll find out there's more than that. There are, first of all, works of merit, and that's what we were kind of talking about before with the law of merit. Well, there are things called works of merit. Now, they're not expressly called that in the English, but the concept is truly there. Romans 3, verse 28, we read the passage, we'll read it again. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by work faith, sorry, apart from the deeds of the law, apart from the works of the law. And what he means by that is that man is not justified by perfectly keeping the law. 
um, and, and rather by faith. So that's the idea of deeds of merit, where the person performing the deeds thinks that he is in that moment meriting, earning his salvation. In Romans chapter 4 and verse 2, um, that Bible says, Therefore, if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. When it says, for if Abraham was justified by works, the concept there, very present in comparison with other scriptures, is by works of merit. If Abraham was justified by works of merit, and that's all in the person's attitude. Two different people can do the same thing. One person can have the attitude of, I'm doing this and I deserve whatever the reward is. The other person can do the same thing and with the attitude of, I do not deserve any type of reward um, because of who I am and what I've done. And so they have to simply uh, do this in faith, in faith toward God. The, the Romans 4, 2, though, is talking about works of merit. Another passage is Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Um, the idea there in verse 9, not of works, not of meritorious works, not of works that have some type of earning potential. Um, the grace of God cannot be received when you obey God's law, thinking that when you obey it, you are somehow meriting that grace. That is how the phrase works is used in Scripture and is referring to works of merit. Another way it's used in Scripture and it's not referring to works of merit is in Luke chapter 17 and verse 10. In that passage it says, this is the end of a parable, it's called the parable of the unprofitable servant. It says, so likewise you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded. Okay, stop there before we finish. When you've done all those things that you're commanded, when you do works, that's what it's saying. When you do works, and these works were commanded by God, say, we are unprofitable servants, we have done what was our duty to do. We've only done what God asks us to do. We've not done more than He asks us to do, and even then, we don't deserve anything. We're unprofitable servants. And so here is a work that is not done with an attitude of earning potential or merit, but as in an attitude of faith. This is expressed further in Romans chapter 4, verses 18 through 22, about Abraham, and Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6. Let's read Galatians 5, verse 6, because this one is short. It says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. These are works that were attached to the law of Moses. Those don't avail the Christian anything. But faith working through love. Here is works mentioned again, but it's attached to the word faith. And so here we understand that there is a way to do something, to do a work in faith and not with the attitude of meriting something. Another hard-hitting patch is to prove the point is James chapter 2, verse 24. There it says, You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Now pause for just a minute. Before we go any further, I want to clarify. Many people have good intentions and they'll read this verse in a response to the idea that all works are bad. And they'll read James 2, 24 to prove that there, are a, there is a type of work that is not evil, and that is not meritorious. But in the process, they either unwittingly, I would say most of the time unwittingly, 
go about teaching the the doctrine that yes, you are saved by the works that you perform in and of themselves. And that is not what James is saying. When he says you are justified by works, we have to understand that he means works that are done in faith, not works that are done with a self-righteous attitude. You see then that a man is declared righteous or declared justified by works of faith and not by faith only or mental assent to some fact that Jesus is the Christ. Not mental assent only, but by um, uh, faithful works, works done with an attitude of faith in God. That's what James is talking about here again, works of faith. So there's two types of works, and there's at least three different ways in which the phrase law is used by Paul in his epistles uh, and James. And so we have to get those down before we approach really any passages about grace and faith and justification, because if we don't have those down first and we're operating under false assumptions, then we're really going to go off in the left field a long way. And I said this already, but I want to say it again and reemphasize it. Uh, every person who's ever been saved has always been saved by grace through faith, not of any meritorious works that they have done. Okay? And when men are, are finally justified, it's by the declaration of God. It's not by our own declaration. I'll get to that in one of our points down the road here. Okay, so we've talked about, number one, false assumptions. Let's go on to point number two of our six points. The second point is about grace. And I want to read Romans 5, verse 15 to get this rolling. It says there in Romans 5, verse 15, but the free gift, referring to the gift of Jesus Christ, and that is salvation, is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense many died, but much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. Without getting into, you don't really have to understand what all is going on in Romans 5 to at least get this point. That the gift of God is referring to the gift of Jesus Christ, and that gift by God was a free gift. Uh, the, uh, grace is a free gift, okay? But what many people, and I'll express this later either in a sermon that I give or in a podcast episode that I do later on, but grace is a free gift. Few people, if any, explain what that means. They just assume that it's a given. What does it mean that grace or God's grace of Jesus Christ is a free gift? It can refer to being free in more than one sense, and we have to dissect that. Grace is free in the sense that we did absolutely nothing to earn it because God determined to give this gift before the foundations of the earth were even formed, meaning before we were ever even born. Go to Ephesians 3 to establish that fact and other passages. It's free in the fact we did absolutely nothing to merit it, and so it's free. But it's not free in the sense, and you cannot prove this in Scripture that it is otherwise, it is not free in the sense that it's absolutely unconditional from any type of uh, response on the part of those that it's given to. So it's not unconditional on the part of us human beings. It's a free gift. We didn't earn it, and yet God has placed conditions on it, the condition that we respond in gratefulness. That does not reduce the freeness of the gift whatsoever. Um, we, we have to understand that. And so when Paul says in Romans 5.15, but the free gift, and he calls God's grace of Jesus Christ a free gift, it is free, we did not earn it, but that does not mean that it is not conditioned 
on a grateful response. Sorry for the repetition there, but there are some of these things that I feel like repetition is the mother of all teaching and we need to use it. Okay, the third point, we've talked about false assumptions. We've talked about grace as a free gift and what that means. We're going to talk about now faith. Faith is better expressed in many circumstances, and it's properly uh, translated uh, without doing any harm or without using bad interpretation skills. It's properly translated faithfulness in many passages. If you look up the word in the Greek dictionaries, that is a perfectly acceptable definition. And in many places, that captures exactly what the writer is saying. Now, let's read uh, a couple of passages together that even if you don't uh, translate the phrase faithfulness, this reinforces the fact that when the Bible says that somebody is saved by faith or justified by faith, such as in Romans 1 verse, I think it's verse 17, um, the idea there is not just simply the mental activity of the brain agreeing with some fact that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. It includes that, but it's not limited to that. I'll prove this to you from just even one example. There's several we could go through, but listen to Mark 11, verse 27 through 31. Then the Pharisees came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders came to him. And they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority to do these things? But Jesus answered and said to them, I also will ask you one question. Then answer me, and I'll tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or from men? Answer me. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, Man, if we say from heaven, he's going to say, Why then did you not believe him? Now the way that they talk to themselves is very telling about what proper belief is. When they said, Why then did you not believe him? To Jesus, that's going to mean, why then did you not get baptized by John? And we see this bear out in John chapter 12 and verse 42 in another scene. It says, Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him, referring to Christ, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. There we see that proper belief, saving belief, involves more than just simply agreeing to some facts. It means agreeing with those facts enough to act on them and, and respond in faithfulness. Uh, we see in John 3, and if we were to read John 3 and verses 22 to 26, we see that these rulers of the Jews did not get baptized by John's baptism. Read verse 25 uh, it says, after John was baptizing, then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. And there were obviously rulers of the Jews who went down to the Jordan while John was baptizing, and they would not get baptized and started arguing with John's disciples about how to be made pure. And so they would not get baptized. So later when Jesus says, why then did you not believe him? Or at least they know that's how he's going to respond they're recognizing the fact that to believe in Jesus, uh, or in this case in John, would have been to been baptized by him, to obey what he was saying. Um, the, the faith that saves is the faith that obeys, and that is summarized in the one word, faithfulness. Uh, faithfulness is a grateful response to God's grace. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, 
it would be proper, uh, uh, perfectly acceptable Sorry, to translate that faithfulness, for by grace you've been saved through faithfulness. James chapter 2, verses 22 to 24 reinforces this once again. It says there, Do you see that faith was working together with Abraham's works? And by works uh, of faith, I'm sorry, and by works faith was made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Again, uh, works there referring to works of faith, works done in faithfulness. This is really just a small sample of the verses that go to prove the, I, the very fact that faith is more than just something that happens in your head. It's more than mental assent to a fact. It is expressed faithfulness, ultimately. And so we must understand that when we say that man is saved by grace through faith, that assumes the concept of faithfulness. The reason that I prefer the word faithfulness is because the word um, is one word to fully represent the idea of trust followed by response, uh, works of faith, faithfulness. Okay, so we've done away with some false assumptions. We've talked about how grace is a free gift. We've talked about faith being understood as faithfulness. The next thing we want to talk about is the declared righteousness of God, and this is an important point as well. Justification and righteousness are synonymous terms. They come from the same uh, word group in the Greek. Um, to be justified by God is something that God does. Okay, We need to understand this. And I get that from James 2 and verse 24. Again, we'll read it. Uh, you see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. The word justified in that passage, and I'm not going to get too deep into this because it's just there's no reason to get deep into the Greek. But again, the word justified in the Greek is what is called an indicative present passive. The passive is the voice of the verb, and that means that what is being described is being done to the subject of the sentence. And so the subject of the sentence is man in general. You see that that man is justified by works. That means that man does not justify himself, but the very grammar of this Greek verb means that he is being justified by somebody else. And of course, the implied justifying person is God. God justifies this person. He does this on the basis of his grace and on the condition of faithfulness or works of faith, as James puts it, by works of faith and not by faith only. Uh, so we need to understand the idea that God is the one doing the justifying. We are not. This will come up in the next point as well. And that idea is termed properly declared righteousness. To understand declared righteousness a little bit better, we can just back up one verse. Let's read that verse 23, which we have read already uh, before. It says, And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. God wrote it down on Abraham's account, righteous, by his grace, on the condition of Abraham's faithfulness. Uh, Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26 is maybe the marquee passage to teach this idea of declared righteousness. That passage says, But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe. 
For there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness, because in His forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus." Like that verse 26, it's impossible to read that and come away with the conclusion that anyone but God is the justifier. That he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That justification is, again, conditioned on faithfulness to Jesus. But nonetheless, God is the one that declares the person righteous by his own system that he set up, a system of grace uh, that leads to justification condition on faithfulness. Okay, now the, that's point number four. Let's review again. We've knocked out false assumptions. We've talked about grace as a free gift. We've talked about faith as faithfulness. We've talked about justification um, being properly termed declared righteousness under the Christian system. We are now going to talk about the phrase that is used a lot, that is self-righteousness. And I'm not going to get deep into this because this really is what legalism is all about. Self-righteousness is justifying yourself on the basis of law-keeping. That is perfect law-keeping or keeping the law to some arbitrary level of perfection that man has made. Um, That's the the idea. So a person comes along and they, they become a Christian, they're under the law of Christ, and they justify themselves based on keeping some short list of laws that they have come to the conclusion, these are the ones you got to worry about, and I keep these perfectly, and so I'm good. And they declare themselves righteous. God doesn't declare them righteous. They do. We understand that from Scripture. This is also known as legalism, and I love the definition. Really, I was talking to my dad yesterday about this, and um, I was looking through several different definitions, and his really was the best, I felt like, because it was short. And legalism is law-depending, depending on the law to save you. And that's exactly what we just described. You are de- depending on your keeping the law, and the law is going to save you by perfectly keeping some uh, short list. Or if you think that you're keeping the whole law in itself, that attitude itself is self-justification, self-righteousness. That's the proper, accurate definition of legalism. I'm giving part of episode 18 away. We'll get into that more Uh, So I'm just giving you a sneak peek. Okay? That's the result when people misunderstand God's system of justification by grace through faithfulness, self-righteousness. Point number six, and the final point in this study, is we need to understand that justification by grace through faithfulness does not negate the necessity of keeping God's law. Okay? It does not negate the necessity to keep God's law. Many scriptures we have read have proven the very fact that we must keep God's law. It's about the attitude of the person. And in this system that God has established, Romans 3, 21 to 26, in that system, a person is declared justified on the basis of God's grace, <laughs> grace conditioned on a grateful response of works done with faith in God and His ability to declare the person justified. People just rip apart Paul's theology. They rip apart terms that he's 
made by lifting those phrases, those verses, right out of their immediate context, and then uh, equally as bad, right out of the context of all Scripture read together. And they create systems where man can just recite an incantation of, I believe Jesus is my Savior, and they think that they're saved, they think that they're justified by God in that moment, and then they just go on and live sinful lives. And they are not justified, and they're certainly not sanctified, even if they think that they were justified. They're not sanctified because their lives do not show any aspect of it. And we see denominations um, today, if, if you read much theology, if you read many scholars today, you'll see how uh, scholars who have taught justification by faith only, you don't have to do anything, this cheap grace concept, how they are realizing the effect this has had on their churches and how people just live in moral lives in their churches and they see a problem with this, but they can't understand what, what, why. It's because of the cheap grace doctrine that men like Billy Graham taught for so many years and, and affected so many millions of people, and it has created a, a culture that believes that God's grace is on the cheap. And that is not biblical. It's largely rooted in false assumptions about the phrase law, about the phrase works, about the phrase faith, and other of these key passages that we've read. Well, that uh, sums up everything I, I really have to say on this subject. What does it mean to be justified by grace through faith? I'll say it one more time. No person on the face of the earth in the history of the earth has ever been saved any other way than by grace through faith as a condition um, declared justified by God. And uh, I hope that you understand that so that next week when we get into talking about legalism, you'll understand where I'm coming from. I think I've said it before, and you may know this by now, I am a preacher for the uh, Church of Christ and a lot of people will make uh, attacks and, and statements about Church of Christ people, those Church of Christ folk. They they're legalists, and they believe that you're saved by your works. I said all of this to hopefully explain to you what I actually do believe on grace, faith, works, and law. And perhaps there are people out there who are Church of Christ preachers or Church of Christ members. I've heard them myself. I've met these people who they do they do teach that we're saved by works, and they. Um, take away from the grace of God. Uh, I'm not teaching that. And even what I have t taught, people will say, well you, well, you say you're not, but you actually are, uh, just because I believe in that we are under law of, of some kind. <laughs> the very fact that I say that, some people discredit it. The very fact that I say that you do have to do something, they'll discredit what I said as believing in some meritorious system. Well, you can distinguish the two. I'm going to put that task in your safekeeping and trust you on it. Hope that you enjoyed this main dish. If you have any questions, please reach out uh, through Messenger. Comment on the podcast on Facebook, Instagram. Uh, send me an email at ambatty at yahoo.com. If you want the notes, I'll give them to you freely. Now let's go to foot and mouth syndrome. Well, I said in the intro to this episode that I created a situation on this last Sunday afternoon. I didn't intentionally create a situation. I don't ever put my foot in my mouth while I'm preaching intentionally. It's just, it happens. So I was talking on a sermon called Micah and the Levite from Judges 17 to 18. And I was talking about how this story teaches the concept of false religion and how dangerous it is and things that we can learn about false religion. To use an example of false religion among us, 
in the denominational world, I referred to a church that I went on their website recently, and I pulled up one of their sermon series. And on the sermon, it was called God at the Box Office, and the sermon was supposed to be, the whole service was themed around the greatest showman. And on the opening of the sermon, on the video, on their website, I had to make sure that I was watching a church video, like I was on a church website. Sure enough, I was still on it. I was actually watching a church service, and I was blown away, and I expressed this to the audience. I said, initially the screen was dark, the stage was black, and then a light popped on, and it showed the two full-bodied silhouettes of these two women, and it looked more like a strip club. (laughs) That's what I said. And after I said that, I knew immediately what I had said as if I've been to a strip club. And so I was like, if that's what they look like. (laughs) And later after the sermon, of course, uh, several people, you know, brought it up as a joke. And they're like, yeah, yeah, like, like, that's what it's supposed to look like. Uh, I did the same thing a while back. I think I shared that on here before. But um, I just need to stop bringing up any type of reference to uh, clubs (laughs) because the more I use them, the more that it's seeming incriminating that I've been to one or that I go to these places of entertainment. So again, I put my foot in my mouth, but as you can tell from the gap of time since the last time I've done this and shared a segment on here, Foot and Mouth Syndrome, I am getting better. So that is the good, that's the good news. Well, that'll do this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got something from it. Don't forget to like and follow the Facebook page, the Instagram page. Uh, Share this episode, um, whether you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcast. Please uh, subscribe to the channel. Rate the channel. That's the most helpful thing you can do. It'll help other people see it, and it'll give good reviews for those that aren't as familiar with the channel and the whole project. Until next time, this is the 5-Minute Bible Study Podcast.